Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to The Scoop. I'm your host, Frank Chaparro, editor-at-large at The Block, and we have a very exciting episode of the show for you today. Unfortunately, Samantha, who was our guest on the other side of the mic, I can't say that you're the first person I've interviewed in Czech Republic. I just want to get that out of the way. Unfortunately. I'm not the first. Well, Larry I'm... would have been the first. We interviewed him yesterday, our VP of research. So I, I have him to thank for luring you over here. That's true. So that's Samantha Bobut, Chief Growth Officer at European Venture Investment Firm Rockaway X. You recently came over from DCG, where you oversaw the support and tracking of over 200 portfolio companies, which is quite a big portfolio. We're going to be diving into the venture capital landscape. Rockaway X's recent EU funding report and the convergence of decentralized finance with real-world assets. But before we dive in, I want to take a moment to thank our sponsors. What's next for digital currency after a brutal 2022? While the core promise of crypto hasn't changed, digital currency is still forming the base layer for a new global commerce infrastructure. From merchants at the point of sale to corporations that want to pay suppliers and even employees more efficiently. Circle has always seen itself as a connector of the traditional world and the new world of digital currency. It's like building houses. What's the foundation and can you get the foundation right? Throughout Q1, I'm happy to host leaders from Circle here on The Scoop to give listeners the chance to hear how one of crypto's most prominent builders is paving the way for digital currency utility. Visit circle.com scoop for more information. This show is sponsored in part by CleanSpark, America's Bitcoin miner. With CleanSpark, you can feel good about investing in the Bitcoin ecosystem because CleanSpark uses low-carbon energy for their Bitcoin mining data centers and is always optimizing their operations to increase energy efficiency and reduce e-waste, all while partnering with the communities they operate in. If you want to support the future of Bitcoin while also supporting the environment, visit www.cleanspark.com to learn more about the CleanSpark way. Once again, I want to thank Samantha for joining us in person. How are you? I'm good, Frank. For everyone out there, this is my first day in my new office in Prague in the Czech Republic. It's a sunny day here. It started off snowing. So I guess a taste of home because I'm from New York, but living in sunny Lisbon. And I feel lucky that an American, a little taste of home, has graced my first day with his presence. Listen, be still my beating heart. So walk us through a little bit about the firm, what's the mandate, what your role is, and then we can talk about some of the trends you're seeing shaping the space. Yeah, so I was at DCG, Digital Currency Group, which is the parent company of Coindesk, uh, Grayscale, Genesis, a couple other businesses for four years. And when people would ask me, like, well, what would come next? I would always say, gosh, I don't know. And and no, and that's not just because I'm fearful of change, <laughs> mm. but maybe partly that. But also, I would say because this job is just so dynamic. And so at DCG, I was working with our venture portfolio, as you said, 200 projects, really touching all corners of the space. Needless to say, Rockaway is not, you know, at the pinnacle of global finance here in Prague. Maybe it's a bit honest. <laughs> yeah, we don't we don't have those global finance connections, but I can tell you what we do have. And so like looking out the window right now, we don't see skyscrapers, but we see some really cute red roofs. And one of them is an engineering school. It's probably the best computer science school in Central Europe. 
It's competitive. The technical talent that comes out of there is exceptional. And we have an amazing pipeline. And so what have we done with it? We have a venture studio that's churning out products. We have an infrastructure business. And then we also have a security business. And so that's a group that's doing DevOps support, audits for projects. So it's kind of a DCG except digging into the technical like build open source stuff, figure out the business model <coughs> later, build stuff for projects, part of the space. Okay, that's a great foundation of the firm. What's fantastic, I think just fantastic or serendipitous timing, I should say, that I have the pleasure of being here with you is the fact that you just put out this report on the crypto European venture landscape. Also serendipitous because I was just in Paris at Paris Blockchain Week, so seeing a lot of founders like our friend Travis who will probably be pretty disappointed that he's not participating in this conversation, but be that as it may. He's my neighbor, so he'll be on soon. But let's walk through this report. So a lot of people, first off, don't even think about some of the funds that exist here on this side of the ocean, and they probably think even less about what the activity looks like. Can you walk us through some of the highlights of the report? Yeah, so this was a report on the state of it's a bit of a mouthful. Let me get it out right. The yeah. state of European crypto VC funding. So, yeah, projects, the money, the cash they're hauling in in Europe versus the U.S. There were a few interesting kind of headlines from the report. So the first one was the biggest, that there are more VC-backed crypto startups in Europe than in any other geography. So that doesn't mean you know, that they're the biggest movers and shakers or that they're dominating every stage. But it means that there are more VC-backed founders in crypto in Europe, for one. And that, yeah, we have the biggest concentration of early stage projects and of companies overall. So what does that mean for venture capitalists operating in the United States? Are they at a disadvantage? How can they maybe partner with firms here to sort of elbow their way into some of these deals? And then there's a follow-up question to that, which is, why don't we see more later stage European crypto companies? Do they just sort of fizzle out? I can only think of like five off the top of my head. Yeah. So I guess one thing it does show us is that there's not really an entrepreneurialism deficit, which is was kind of the wrap on Europe historically in every field, right? Like you'd always hear the regulations strangle innovation. No one starts companies. They're such career men. So that's not happening and certainly not in crypto. In terms of why aren't there the late stage, I think someone who's a skeptic might say, you just don't have what it takes over there. Mm. You can seed companies, maybe they're cheaper on the early, but they can't go global. I think it doesn't look like that's it. So I would say you can boil this down pretty easily, which is the first big group of crypto unicorns. First of all, a lot are centralized exchanges. Those aren't going to be the ones that come out of here, but they're going to be a different breed of unicorn or late stage success. So companies that are more technical. So one thing we saw in the data was the biggest group that's rising here are infrastructure companies, so layer ones, mm -hmm. kind of like scaling technology, stuff that's real technical chops. And then also the other explanation would be they're not having growth capital, right? They have no access to that. And so I guess this gets to your question about, so where do the U.S. firms fit in? And one interesting data point was the U.S. VCs come over here for crypto early stage companies far more than they do traditional tech. And, you know, to some extent, this is intuitive. Like, they don't understand maybe the health systems in Europe. 
Maybe other things are just more specific to context, but they are coming over really early in crypto. So why that gives me hope is having been on the support side of the table, what do you think the biggest question you get from founders is? Or what do they like you the most for? What can you deliver them that they'll be really happy? They'll say like, wow, Samantha's really helpful. Capital introduction. Exactly. So they're like, can you find me my next investor? You know, if they've got a product that can be sold, I don't know what portion of that is of most people's portfolios in this field. I apologize to Frank's loyal, optimistic followers. (laughs) I was also sarcastic on this fine Tuesday. But yeah, if they have paying customers, getting one of those would be a big coup. But the other thing is just getting them their next round, right? So helping them bridge that growth capital, helping them in that way invest more in their team and and their product. So why this bodes well is that if U.S. investors are in these companies' rounds early, they know them early, and they're going to introduce them to their friends. So that means that those U.S. networks are open to them when they want to tap them. So there's a quote here from your CEO, Victor Fisher. He's talking about the hostile U.S. regulatory environment. How's that playing a role? I feel like companies are kind of moving jurisdictions all over the place, whether it's U.S. to Europe or Europe to the Middle East or Middle East to Singapore, we're all just kind of... Yeah, it's a globe-trotting industry. Yeah, right? it's, um, it's a, there's a word that comes to mind. Itinerant? Yes. Indeed. Yeah, so it is a globe-trotting industry. We're a nomadic tribe. If they, I know they call crypto tribe. One anecdote here, I moved to Lisbon in January, and at that time with DCG, I think we had about two founders that were based in Lisbon. There's now about, I think, six at latest count. They're not following me, much as it would be flattering to think so. A few have decamped from the States. And so, you know, seeing that anecdotally, hearing that from other funds, I think the simplest way to put it is, well, one, no founder wants to know that they're not operating in a safe, certain environment, right? I mean, the only thing scarier than breaking the law is breaking it without knowing. I don't know if you've ever had that nightmare, if you ever saw the show Nikita. Mm -mm. It's a woman who walks down the street, someone throws a knife in her hand, She ends up behind bars, doesn't know what hit her. I think, obviously, that's a more dramatic, (laughs) horrible situation. But I think we have people who want to build products that are going to serve global communities, and they want to do so. They have a roadmap in mind, and they don't want any regulatory uncertainty coming in the way of executing on it. Ignoratia juris non excusat. I know we have our shared Jesuit education, but I think you got more out of it than I did because I don't speak no Latin. That's all I I have. So talk to me a little bit about in this environment, you use the word less flush. Mm -hmm. How can VCs identify opportunity? I would relish the VC investor or the day when more of us in crypto just actually have investment theses. You know, there's so many that will say things like, we're looking at the infrastructure, or we're looking at things that improve the underlying technology, or, you know, and this all amounts to just having no conviction. So I do think the sign of a maturing space is you're going to have investors with more domain expertise. And what I mean by that is they're willing to stake their name that there are themes they are excited about that are somewhat narrow and investable. In terms of what I'm looking for, I think the number one thing in this environment is that projects didn't get over levered in the hype. And the way I define that is that they raised a too high valuation. And then that means either that they hired too much too fast and they have to cut some portion of that headcount or that they are going to struggle to reward, incentivize, attract newcomers. 
or that they spent on stupid things. And even if you still have money, I think it's a real, there's a historical tax to spending in a way that's not efficient. I don't know. We've all been in these environments where you're like, shit, you just can't change the bad culture or mindset. Unbridled amounts of capital translates into- If money has no cost, you do stupid things. And it's hard to rewind stupidity. And so if you got in this attitude- And it breeds a lack of discipline. Yeah. If you didn't attach headcount to projects, it's going to be hard to get that discipline after. So I think projects that got the timing right, they weren't overstretched. And then finally, that they've showed that they spend in smart ways. So I think a lot in VC, I come from a public equity investing background at the start of my career. Oh, yeah. So first of all, in that, you would look at a business, you would look at like return on capital, right? So how they've invested in the past, how that's channeled into profitability. And you would say, like, what would I pay to own this business, right? That's kind of value investing. I think in this field, not only do we kind of not want to think in that way sometimes, but a lot of investors will throw their hands up and say, well, I just have no numbers to go on. Like mm. it's an idea, you know, I got to believe the idea, right? And maybe it's that I just don't have a good instinct enough that I can trust my idea. But I like to believe that there are other ways you can dig into something of prior performance to predict the future, right? And so if that's have they made good hires, Time is money, right? How did they spend their time? Was that fruitful? Actual money, how have they spent it? You know, And so even for the earliest stage project, if you dig in with the founders, if you look at past budgets, you should be able to see that they've been judicious in the past and therefore that you've reason to believe they will in the future, especially, as you said, in a tighter environment where we're not all flush. We're not. We're not. The core promise of crypto hasn't changed. Stablecoins can bring faster payments at internet scale, from merchants at the point of sale to corporations that want to pay suppliers or even employees more efficiently. Circle has always seen itself as a connector of the traditional world and the new world of digital currency. USDC is more than just a stablecoin. USDC is also an open source platform. When our transactions are actually final and you can't change them anymore, that's another great quality property of cash because when you switch his hand, it's final. Right? Can you digitize all those good quality properties and bring that in a digital form? USDC by Circle is at the forefront of this innovation. And that's why The Scoop is partnering with the folks at Circle to tell you guys why and how our industry is moving. A lot of us who have built USDC, myself included and Jeremy included, we are technologists. So we approach this problem from a technology point of view. Visit circle.com scoop for more information. Here's a message from our sponsor, CleanSpark. CleanSpark is a NASDAQ-listed company that mines Bitcoin. Basically, they build and operate data centers with tens of thousands of computers that help secure Bitcoin, making it more reliable and secure for anybody, anywhere to use. These computers require a lot of energy, but that's why CleanSpark predominantly uses low-carbon energy to power their machines. But that's not all. They care about the communities where their data centers are located. They create jobs, donate to schools and community centers, and revitalize aging electricity grids in rural parts of America. They aren't just a Bitcoin miner. They're one of the most efficient and sustainable Bitcoin miners in America. Visit www.plainspark.com to learn more. So walk me through your thinking on the intersection of decentralized finance and the real world, as we call it, what we can touch. Joe Weisenthal talks a lot about this, defaults biggest fault is the fact that it's just this closed circuit ecosystem. It's not like the traditional capital markets in which 
financial firms are lending out for people to go and do real things with it. It's just an environment in which people are borrowing coins to then go and buy more coins and the cycle repeats itself the over most, and over again. Would you call it the most self-referential industry in it's, history? <laughs> or one of? One of, yeah. Yeah, no, it's at times... So, you're, just, you're just banging on the door for a way out, right? To touch the real world. So I guess that gets at what we're discussing. So how do we touch it? How do we touch it? So for all of this stuff to touch the real world, it's one of two ways. Either you say more money, more capital is going to come into this system, right? On chain. So whether it's these foundations or it's just people who have a greater portion of their assets in crypto that's on chain. They are a bigger part, and so they need access to traditional financial products. That's one side of the equation. Mm. The other side would be there's going to be new types of financial products or creations in the real world that naturally should live or be financed or take root on chain. And so there's kind of two projects that have caught my eye recently Mm -hmm. on, on this. So on the side of, okay, there's more capital on chain, where the hell does it go? There's a project, it was actually a DCG portfolio company called Ondo Finance. Mm-hmm. And so what they've done is, you know, they've looked at all the, well, one, everything that's happened through through the latest the bank stuff and all these projects just saying, look, we're totally at a loss, right? We've tried to manage our treasuries. We've tried to put where we can, we've accessed banks. We've tried to put it in Ethereum, but then, you know, the price is volatile we would actually just really like to access treasuries. But the moment we take these assets off chain, there are some, you know, do we become an asset management firm? What does that process look like? We want to keep them accessible. And so what Ondo's done is it's created security tokens that get exposure to ETFs that are managed by PIMCO and BlackRock, but that access U.S. treasuries and corporate bonds. So I can keep my assets, right? I can make my USDC contribution on chain, and then I get a token that represents my ownership in the Ondo fund that, again, is fully audited, that's managed like any other ETF. So that's the first side. That is, okay, there's these big pools of capital. They want exposure to traditional financial products. The other side is the, like, okay, what in the real world comes into this system and this way of moving value that we've created? And I think the big prompt here, to keep it tight, is kind of like what makes sense to be community-generated and owned? So that's the high level. Like, is there something that we should all create? And then to give an example, this can either be a big infrastructure project where it just takes a lot of money to bootstrap networks, and you can't have early participants, you know, get equity because there might be millions of them. So Helium is an example here. There's one called Oxio that's a big network for wireless connectivity. There's HiveMapper. Maybe I'll start with HiveMapper, which is, it's kind of a decentralized Google Maps. Hmm. And the argument there would be that there's parts of the globe that have really spotty coverage, that enterprises have also not been served with Google Maps. They're beholden to one monopoly. They're not getting good service. They're paying too much. If we could all contribute by running these hive scams, so these attached to cars, and then it lends to the creation of this kind of superior, more resilient global map, that we could create a better alternative. And so I've seen another one recently that's a network like this for GPS. So 
again, from the knowledge that like self-driving cars, all these things are going to need much better GPS. That's really expensive to create. There's probably only two firms globally that could invest in these kind of infrastructure upgrades. Would we not do better if everyone contributes, right? Everyone runs their kind of GPS streamer. We have a better network and we all get compensated for our contribution to it. That could be better. Although didn't the rewards for Helium like I know someone who, who paid for their yeah, so, so condo that's, with... That's the problem with these networks with is that once you condition people that they should expect something, right? So if I'm contributing to anything, I'm part of a network, I bootstrap it, I run my node, or I, I submit my ideas, and I get compensated in a token that's worth a lot, how do I behave when it's suddenly I'm getting cents? You don't behave. I opt out. And that's, sure. <laughs> and that's the problem. And so... Well, that's the biggest problem, I think, with all of crypto. Yeah, that if you're in it for purely the speculative, then is it really creating any new behavior? And I think that's, you know, I guess stepping back, we think all of this has value because it lets us supposedly coordinate people globally in better ways, right? It should let us connect to people in different places. It should let us send value to them, incentivize different behaviors, but yeah, I guess what we're saying is there has to be an ethos that they believe what they're creating is superior, right? That they have some buy-in to that end product or they're getting value out of it. But if it's just to get a few tokens that decrease in value, then yeah, how do you keep them in? What do you think? I think that it was the biggest failure of like the past year. <laughs> <laughs> and you experience this on a very personal level, right? I mean, Steppen. I was running every day, using Steppen every day. I was paying for all my meals. I was making tons of money. As soon as GMT went to zero, I haven't logged into Steppen. There's no point. It could be a nice app. The sneakers are fun. And so you, now you just walk for free. Now I'm just walking for free, like a dummy. Isn't there one on near? You'll have, to, you'll have to red pill me on that Sweat, sweat coin. Sweat coin. That's an older one, though. That's... So would you say you're just primed, you're waiting for the next step in? No, what, sh what, if they had enough time, they could have made the app good enough for it to be usable without those financial incentives. That's how you get to that next level. So it, I guess then we can say if you've opted out, the experience wasn't novel. You have to get the experience to be novel enough that it can maybe bootstrap. You were bootstrap. getting the same experience just with a transactional component. We yeah. need transactional component to bootstrap superior experience. I think that's well said. Okay, so the last thing I want to ask you about is like, how can VCs help startups with the issues that are getting increasingly more thorny? Banking, dealing with your treasury. I feel like there's no risk management around that at all. It's just like thrown into ETH or something. How do you sort of facilitate what those relationships, getting them set up, and how important is that? especially with banking, with everything that we're seeing with. Yeah, so I think one thing is just steady the hand. So I was, yes, exactly, exactly, steady the hand. I am, um, you know, running a company is scary. Founders, we all have a busybody tendency. I think the first instinct when something like what happened over the last week does is founders Sure, it's good to have a strategy, but we also heard a lot of like, I got to, you know, move from this bank that I'm actually dependably at, right? Maybe a bigger, I mean, I guess nothing's dependable, but move from one and I should... Just the almighty. Precisely. <laughs> Only that's 
again, our Jesuit education. But they would frenetically say, within the next days, I should open up in Mercury and Ceres and every fintech on the planet. And one role for the investor is just just asking questions, right? Kind of like anything is not really asserting anything. So why would your view be any better? But just being that. Because it's my view. Well, I think, sorry, if it were your view, Frank, would be better. But yeah. mine is, you know, it's, it's actually, it's, it's better I never assert anything else. <laughs> Um, but it's saying, you know, okay, what is what is the goal here, right? What are you what are you worried about? What are you trying to achieve? And they'll say, well, I want to reduce my risk. And that's then when you can say, so do you think, hypothetically, would moving from, say, two vetted institutions that you spent, you know, time working with to eight fintechs, is that necessarily reducing your risk? Mm. Or are you just kind of spreading it in new spots, acting fast? So that's not to say that you shouldn't have backup plans and, and try to, in some, that there's merit in life to spreading chips in, in different aspects of operations. But we saw a lot of just crazy, I got to work fast, I got to do something by tomorrow. So that's one. I guess other role of investors is just using strength of network. You know, whenever I meet a new company, when we invest, I always say, like, the moment to think of us is if you're Googling something. Like, pick your, like, if I ever meet you at an event or at anything in the space, and I hear that you Googled something, like, don't ever talk to me again, right? Because that's what we should be here for. If you're doing something that 8,000 founders have done before, you know, even an idiot in my seat should be able to connect those dots and share some learnings across. So I think using your investors to save time, and then by contrast, investors negotiating on behalf of whatever network they represent. And if it's a small one, work with other funds. Mm. Well said. Well, Samantha, thanks so much for taking the time and joining us today. Thank you, Frank. Where can our listeners find you? On the internet. <laughs> oh, I was I was going to say I'm I think this is called Stupish Guard <laughs> or something. Um, I mean they're all well. <laughs> but um I'm on Twitter. I'm really uncool, so it's my full first name underscore full last name. And, yeah, I think I'm on, I'm right. on email. We'll leave it, we'll leave it at that. <laughs> the Scoop will be back for you with another great guest. Have an awesome day. <laughs>